Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Morning, church. How we doing? All right. Good. I'll take that. Um, my name is Peter. I'm the senior pastor here at FBH. We are excited that you're with us. We're in week two of our series called The Creed, and so I'm not going to mess around. We're going to get straight into it. So if it feels like you're drinking from a fire hose this morning, good. It's uh, me doing my job. Um, but I don't think I explained well last week what a, uh, a creed was and why we're calling this series a creed and that sort of thing. And so dictionary definition of a creed is simply this, a formal statement of Christian beliefs, especially the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. Okay, So it's a, it's a formal statement of Christian beliefs. That's what a creed is. And so as we're talking about a creed, as we're talking about a statement of faith, as we're talking about doctrine, as we're talking about theology, all of those things can kind of, for the most part, be replaced with each other. And so as we're calling it the creed, it was a cooler name than our statement of faith. Um, and so uh, we are walking through, though, our, um, our statement of faith. And, uh, and so as we continue to walk through that, we're, we're in week two now, which is all about everybody's favorite subject, the Trinity. Um, and so uh, if you've been a part of a church for any amount of time, then you probably have heard some studies about the Trinity. You've thought about the Trinity. You've tried to figure out how maybe uh, the, the Trinity works. And, uh, and chances are, uh, if, if you are new to faith or old to faith, then you have some questions about the mystery that uh, surrounds the Trinity. So we are going to unpack that a little bit today for you. But one of the things that I do want you to be very aware of is I am not going to answer every single question that you have surrounding the Trinity today. And as a matter of fact, if someone comes to you and tells you that they have a perfect understanding of the Trinity and they can explain it to you outrightly, run away from that person as quickly as you can. Because the reality is it's simply not true. And we're going to dig into, into a little bit uh, deeper as to why um, as, we, uh, as, we walk, as we walk through that. But we do need to be cognizant um, that as we walk through this series, it's not just what you believe about these different subjects, but why it is these subjects are important as well. And so, uh, so that's where, because last week, as we, as we talked about the Bible, the reason we need to understand what we believe about the Bible is so we can best represent God to the world. Because at the end of the day, if you have signed on to being a Christian, if you have said yes, and you have made a profession of faith for Christ, you are now representing the Bible. So you need to understand then what the Bible says so then you can best represent the Bible. That's what we talked about last week. So this week then, we need to understand the Trinity to the best of our ability so that we can best represent God and best understand how it is that we uh, should be communing with him. But when I talk about the Trinity, I don't, I don't think that people necessarily think about the, the Trinity, the way that uh, they think about maybe, maybe other doctrines, because it consistently seems sh- shrouded in mystery. Like every time at the end of understanding or, or some sort of series about the Trinity or, or anything like that, we always come to the, cl- the conclusion of, well, yeah, that's just kind of where we have to land with things. I mean, let, let's, let's start by looking at our statement of faith regarding the Trinity. It'll be on the screens. It says this, we believe in God, the one triune, infinite, personal spirit who created and governs all things and who is the sole object of our worship. Okay, cool. You guys all good with that sentence? You guys all understand exactly what that sentence says? Because if you're a member of our church, you've signed on to agreeing to that sentence. 
Okay, so we'll dig a little bit deeper. Let's keep going. This one God has always existed in eternal relationship as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each identical in nature, equal in power and glory, and having precisely the same divine attributes. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. So we all can understand exactly what it is that we believe just simply by reading that, right? Probably not, because I mean, even though none of those words are necessarily very big, all of those words strung together, they make us scratch our head a little bit and, and really try to figure out what it is that we have actually signed on to. I mean, there's even mystery when it says things like the one triune, infinite, personal spirit, right? If I asked you guys to go home and without reviewing your notes, hey, I want you to write me a paper about the one triune, infinite, personal spirit of God. My guess is we probably have a pretty difficult time coming up with what that actually means. It says things like there is one God and three persons. It seems paradoxical in nature, right? That, that would be difficult for us to understand. So not only this is this hard for us to comprehend, beyond that, like I said, it's paradoxical in nature. Like This, this is hard. This is difficult doctrine, and so for us to go from Bible, which all of us are relatively comfortable with Bible, straight into the Trinity of God, like this is hard. And so the question I have for you this morning is this, is how much does the Trinity matter to you? And I think it's an interesting question because, because as, we, as we think about this doctrine, as we think about the different things that we say that we believe, at some point, that belief should lead to action as we consistently talk about. So why is it important then for us to believe in the Trinity? If you found out tomorrow that God is actually one person instead of three people, would your relationship with God feel any different? And if we're being honest, my guess is the answer to that question is probably, probably no. Probably no. Growing up, I hated math. Anybody, anybody hate math growing up? Yeah? Okay. A couple of hand raises there. Most of you are lying. Everybody hates math except accountants. Okay? It's not a thing that anybody uh, enjoys. I hated math. I, I, I thought it was terrible. I remember nights in eighth grade coming home from my pre-algebra teacher, Mr. Ragonut, and looking at my homework and crying into my book. Like, I'm pretty sure the Pythagorean theorem was smeared by my tears in my textbook because I was so upset about having to learn math. It was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. And I think I, think I hated math because at the time, I was doing math for the sake of doing math, right? Like, like, that was the only reason I had to do that. It's the only reason I had to understand the Pythagorean theorem because they were going to ask me then to perform the Pythagorean theorem. That was it. And I hated that because, because that's not practical. It's not useful to me. It's still not useful to me. I still haven't used it, Mr. Ragonard, if you're watching online. Right? Like, like, like it, it wasn't useful. And don't get me wrong, I think, I think it's important to understand math. At some point, we have to come to the conclusion that 2 plus 2 equals 4 simply because 2 plus 2 equals 4. And I think that's important for us to, to understand. But it wasn't, though, until I got older and I started using math in my everyday life, simple things like my, my wife, who consistently has a honeydew list like any good wife would, like, hey, we, we are replacing baseboards. So I need to be able to do enough math to replace our baseboards. 
Like that's, that's a very practical thing for me to be able to understand. Or, or if I'm helping with dinner, that's a big if, by the way, if I am helping with dinner and most likely we are going to have to triple our recipe because my kids are ravenous and don't know how to stop eating, right? Like I need to be able to understand how to multiply fractions at that point in my life. Yeah, multiply, not add. That's how we roll in our house. Yeah, and beyond that, like even, even really logistical things at a base level here, right? You, hopefully you picked up your annual reports on your way in. I work in conjunction with the stewardship committee to, make, to, to get that budget set out for, for the next year. We, we look at the month before, and they speak a language I don't understand when it comes to money, but I at least have to have a rudimentary understanding of math and numbers to get that. And so it wasn't until I was older that I realized that I needed math, not just for the sake of understanding math, but because it was going to impact my daily life on a regular basis. And I think that, that this is important for us to be able to understand in our Christianity as well. Okay, now, now stay with me here, because I know you guys are like, what are you talking about math? Yeah, there's a book of numbers, but what does that have to do? I, th- I think it's exactly what we see, though, when it comes to our understanding and appreciation of what we see in Christian doctrine. But more importantly, and maybe, maybe not more important, but also even more specifically in our understanding of the Trinity. Because if all we're doing is understanding doctrine and understanding the Trinity and understanding the nature of God and understanding Jesus and the Bible and all these different things that we're going to walk through, for the sake of understanding those things, they're not going to matter in the long term. In the same way, the Pythagorean theorem holds zero weight in my life. If we don't understand why these things matter then they're not going to hold any weight in your life. And I think for the most part, especially when it comes to this idea of the Trinity, we just kind of leave it on, on the shelf. Because like I said, there's so much mystery surrounding it. Like, if you've been a part of a church for a long time, you've probably done some sort of study on the Trinity where the pastor will come up and he'll give some sort of metaphor for the Trinity, right? Or maybe it's kids ministry or something like that. And and the pastor, man, he, he's doing his best. I'm sure he's not trying to be heretical or anything like that. And there's, there's some sort of metaphor that though it falls short. Like maybe it's, it's water, right? This is a famous one. It's water. That, that water is all H2O, but it exists in three different states. So, so it's ice, so it's a solid, right? And it's, it's a liquid, and then it's also a gas, but it's all, it's all water. And we think to ourselves, yeah, yeah, that's a good, that's a good representation of who Jesus is. But the reality is, is that's actually a heresy. That's fun. So for all of you who have taught that at some point, you're being heretical. Congratulations. This was actually denounced at the Council of Constantinople. It's called modalism. And so actually, Jeff actually challenged me this week to use the word um, uh, modalistic, mono, oh shoot, I knew I was going to do this, uh, monarchianism. Modalistic monarchianism is what Jeff told me to say. It's modalism for short. No one says modalistic monarchianism except Jeff, who's trying to be smarter than everybody else. So anyway, but that was heresy. If we were to describe God in that way, then some would say maybe the Trinity is like the sun, right? Where, where we have the star, but then we have the heat and that we have the light and all of it is a part of, of the same thing. But that is considered Arianism, which we don't believe, where it says that the Spirit and the Son come from the Father or the star. So that falls short in explanation as well, or everybody's favorite, a three-leaf clover. 
Because in you, you have this three-leaf clover and there's this, this plant and it's one plant. The plant is all together, but on each leaf you have God and you have Jesus and you have the Holy Spirit. And you're thinking, man, I don't know if it can get a better definition than that. But that would also be a heresy called partialism where God in each of his forms is one-third of divinity. And on and on and on and on it goes. And we always consistently fall short of being able to accurately, metaphorically explain the Trinity. So, we go back to our current understanding of the Trinity, which is this. We believe in God, the one triune, infinite, personal spirit who created and governs all things and who is the sole object of our worship. This one God has always existed in eternal relationship as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each identical in nature, equal in power and glory, and having precisely the same divine attributes. So again, we haven't shed any light on the Trinity yet, right? We're all at the same place right now. Like, cool, I'm just more confused by anything. So the question is, is if the Trinity then is so complex that we cannot understand it, why is it that we should bother with a definition in the first place? Can't we just agree that God is so complex that we can't understand him? Are we, can we just get to that point? Well, the answer is both yes and no. Right? I'm giving you guys a lot of solid answers this morning. The answer is both, both yes and no. Yes, we will never fully understand the complexity, the depth, and the breadth of God. So at some point in our faith, two plus two has to equal four. At some point in our faith, we just have to walk away and say, that's the answer because that's math. That's the answer because that is doctrine. So we have to be okay with that. But that doesn't mean we have the free will, though, to be lazy and not care about what God has revealed to us in his word and creation. Okay, so we are allowed a lot of freedoms when it comes to our faith. Apathy is not one of them. And we should always do our best to understand God to the extent that scripture has revealed him to us. And so we have to be okay with that in the Trinity and saying, hey, look, I am going to do my best to understand what it is that God's word has revealed to me about the Trinity, but at some point I'm going to need to throw up my hands and say, hey, I am okay having and worshiping a God that I cannot explain away. So let's look at a couple little things when it comes to our statement of faith about this. The first one, the idea that God is triune, infinite, and personal. Let's get some scriptural backing on that. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 is a great place to start when it talks about a triune God. It says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Okay, this is a great little, tight little package where it mentions all, all of the three persons of God in one space. And granted, there's the story that we see in the New Testament of Jesus getting baptized, heavens breaking open, God declaring in, I'm sure, what is a very deep voice and manly voice and buttery voice, that this is my son with whom I am well pleased, something that looks like a dove descending the Holy Spirit. We see the Trinity in action there. But this piece of scripture right here clearly talks about the, like all three persons of God. So that's triune. The next piece is infinite. So we need to come to an understanding here that there is nothing God cannot do except what, his, his, what goes against his nature, what goes against his character. So if you ask, is God big enough to sin? Well, it goes against his nature, so God would never sin. And so it's kind of, you know, a paradox there. It's, it's, it's pointless to ask that. But there is nothing, though, that he does not know. 
that he has ability and power to do whatever it is that he desires to do. We see this over and over and over again throughout Scripture. He can heal the sick. He gives sight to the blind. He can bless anybody that he wants to bless. He has raised people from the dead. He promises eternal life to people who are, are faithful. He can move mountains and calm the seas. He can touch hearts. He wants your love. These are just a few of God's different infinite attributes. We recognize that he is timeless, and he is limitless in every single way. And so beyond all of the different stories that we have about God's infinite ability to do whatever it is that he wants, Revelation 1.8 sums it up really, really well for us. Where it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. He's forever and he's everything. That's what that is saying. And so when it comes, though, after that, not, not just how infinite God is and not just the fact that he is triune, God is also personal is what our statement says. And so when it comes to his personal nature, we can look at the fact that, that throughout Scripture, we consistently God seeking out a relationship with man. Over and over and over again, God is seeking out a relationship with man. He even created man so man would be blessed enough to have a relationship with God. Right? God didn't create man because he was bored one day. God didn't create man because he was lonely. We actually can see the fact that God wasn't lonely because he consistently lives in community with himself. Yeah, figure out that sentence. So he wasn't lonely. That's not why we were created. We were created so we could have a relationship with him. And so consistently throughout scripture from, from creation where God created everything, including man and woman, where God created us, that he's like, hey, I want to have a relationship with you. There's a personal connect there. But then we did a great job in Genesis chapter 3 of messing the whole thing up and sinning and creating this, this kind of void between us and God. And so what happens at that point then is like, hey, look, there is a void there. Now we consistently have, until Jesus shows up on the scene, different ways that God is doing his best to reach out to man, to draw man closer to him. So we have the law. We talked about the law extensively last year, the Mosaic law. We talked about Exodus, right? And so God put out the law so God would show man what it means to live a life that is worthy of a relationship with God. This is what you have to do. Of course, ultimately, we consistently fall short in that. There's no way for us to achieve that perfectly. But then he does it with the prophets as well. He says, hey, look, here's a prophet. Here is my mouthpiece. I want you, this prophet, to call your people back to me. So he did it with the prophets. And then, of course, he did it in a very personal way in sending his son, his only begotten son, as a matter of fact, to us so we could have a personal relationship with him. But then even after that, we see, we see that he sends his spirit when we get to the epistles, right? When we get to Acts and then specifically all of the epistles, he has sent his spirit to have a personal relationship with us. And we talk about this idea of having a, a personal God. God throughout history has consistently tried to draw man to him over and over and over again. So we could keep going with, with all of the scripture that backs up our entire statement of faith, and we would be here for a while, and, and, and if you want all of that scripture, I'm happy to give it to you. I'm not trying to glaze over the rest of that. But this week, I want to focus, though, on, on a different question with you all. The question is, like I alluded to earlier, why does it matter that God is triune? 
Why does it matter that we get this right? Because if you woke up from your post-church nap, which I hope you all get because they're glorious, but when you wake up after your post-church nap and you came to the understanding that God was actually one person instead of three, do you think it would change his underst- your understanding of him? Or maybe more importantly, would you be impacted by that at all? Because I think if we're being honest, like I said, I think, I think the answer is no, but, but we can look back to, to what is called the Athanasian Creed. The Athanasian Creed was a a creed that was written by a guy by the name of Athanasius back in 400-ish AD. And so the Holy Roman Catholic Church was doing their best to try to determine what it meant for God to be triune. And they couldn't come up with a good definition. And so this guy Athanasius, probably just in his spare time, was like, I think this is what it says. And so Athanasius wrote this. He said, whoever wishes to be saved must think thus of the Trinity, what we've already talked about. And whoever rejects this faith will perish everlastingly. This doctrine was that important. They were like, hey, if you don't believe this, if you don't get this right, you're going to perish. You're not getting into heaven if that happens. And actually, it's where we get this sweet drawing called the shield of the Trinity, right? This is what it looks like. This is the shield of the Trinity. And so follow along with me here because because if you're having a hard time understanding the Trinity, I feel like this always sheds some light on it for me. So in the middle, we have God, not God the Father, just God, okay? God the Father, Son, and Spirit. And if you were to trace it up, it says God is the Father. And you trace it to the left, it would say God is the Son, and to the right, God is the Holy Spirit. He is all of those things. But then if you were to start at the top and say, okay, the Father, and draw it down to the bottom, it would say the Father, though, is not the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. Everybody clear now? We good? (laughs) On the Trinity? And so even while, like, this, this does help us imagine a little bit better, at least I hope, like what, how it is that the Trinity functions, I think we also need to come to the understanding that, 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 that this is super complex. Like we are never going to get to the ends of it because in our minds, A squared plus B squared equals C squared and A plus B and B plus C. I'm not good at math. You know what I'm trying to say though, right? Like, like, like this equation doesn't make sense to us in our finite brains. Because what I was trying to say, if A equals B and B equals C, then A should equal C. Nailed it. Take that, Mr. Ragonaut. Thank you. But it doesn't make sense to our brains at that point. So it's clear, though, that the doctrine is incredibly important. In our modern era, though, unfortunately, like many things, the importance of it has been lost over time. That we just think, well, it doesn't really matter. Is God, like, like if he is just one instead of three, why is that, why does that matter? I have two reasons as to why it matters for you this morning. So for you note takers, get ready. The first one is this, the Trinity matters because God matters. I know you're like, that doesn't make any sense. Okay, the Trinity is literally who God is. So if you're imagining God just in some strappy sandals up in the clouds with a long white beard, you have the wrong impression of who God is. The Trinity is literally God. It doesn't matter how we feel about it. It doesn't matter if it's confusing. It doesn't matter if we can't explain it. What matters is is that if we are to deepen our relationship with him and ignore who he is, then our relationship with him is never going to be fully fledged. 
It's literally who he is. It would be like saying you want to deepen your relationship with your wife, but you don't care enough about her opinion on parenting to talk to her about it. That's probably not a great call. Like just going from experience, if you're like, hey, you know what? Yeah, I would love to know more about my wife, but I'm going to completely ignore this massive facet of our lives, which is how it is that we should raise children. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. There's something incredibly important about that. If you're going to have a relationship with this person, it has implications with your life, especially if you end up having kids and grandkids. It is part of who they are. The same is true as of our relationship with the triune God. We simply need to be okay accepting who he is so we can get better, get to know exactly who he is. There's a famous theologian by the name of Fred Sanders. He says this. He says, it makes no sense to ask what the point of the Trinity is or what purpose the Trinity serves. The Trinity isn't for anything beyond itself because the Trinity is God. God is God in this way. God's way of being God is to be the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit simultaneously from all eternity, perfectly complete in a triune fellowship of love. And if we don't take this as our starting point, everything we say about the practical relevance of the Trinity could lead to one colossal misunderstanding, thinking of God the Trinity as a means to some other end, as if God were the Trinity in order to make himself useful. I think one of the reasons that we maybe as, as Americans tend to either neglect the Trinity or are apathetic towards the Trinity is because we are a, I mean, we're a pragmatic group of people. We want to know if something is useful, and if we don't find it useful immediately to us, then we, we throw it away. But if it could be useful, man, we stash it away for a later date, as is evidenced by all of the grocery bags under your sink. Right? I mean, let's be real. No one throws away grocery bags because maybe you'll remember them one time. You won't. Throw them away. Get it over with. Okay, but that's where we're at. Like, like unless something is useful to us, then we, we, we tend to not give it much, much thought or much importance. But as people who want to commune with God in a real way, if the only question we are asking is, will this get me ahead in some way, then we are missing the very identity of God. Besides, Jesus even says, John 17, 3, he says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So to truly know God is to know him as three distinct persons who are also all the same. This is actually part of our, part of our saving faith, which brings us to the second reason that the Trinity matters. The Trinity matters because it is the lens through which we should view our salvation. Right? Some of you guys are like, hold up, time out. I have an understanding of my salvation. Don't mess with my simple understanding of salvation my non-complex gospel where I was a sinner, God sent his son to, to take my sins for now and forever, and now because I made a profession of faith in Christ, I get to be in heaven forever. That is a very good, simple, non-complex gospel. Don't mess with that. 
Let's take a peek at John 3.16 real quick. Everybody's favorite verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Man, with our most basic verse about salvation, we're already kind of wading into Trinitarian waters. Right? It's, it talks about God and Jesus there. We're a Holy Spirit short of a, a holy trio right there. And so we like to think about this. We like to think about the idea that, that, that oh, my, my gospel, it, it's not that complex. And I'm not trying to tell you that, that if you're talking to somebody in your oikos about Jesus, or you're talking to somebody in, in your oikos about, about salvation, that you need to say, hey, I've got some good news. There's a guy named Jesus. And also, he's a part of this trinity that you're going to need to figure out at some point. Like, don't go there. But we also need to view like, like our lens of salvation through, through the, the trinity, the Trinity should frame every part of our worldview when it comes to our salvation. Think about it. God is our creator. Okay, you go all the way back, like I said earlier, to Genesis chapter 1. God is our creator, the architect, the one who has this great plan and put it all together, the one who set this world into motion. And importantly for us at this point, the one who made us face our sin back when we fell in Genesis chapter 3. So from the time that you were born, so from the time that you were actually a twinkle in your father's eye until glory, God is involved in our life in some way. Whether you believe in God or not, he is involved in your life in some way. So, so from the time, that you were, the, the time that you were created until the time that you were saved, the time that you made a profession of faith and you believed in your heart and confessed, in your lips, confessed with your lips that Jesus Christ is Lord, like from that time, God is the one. That's God. And then in that moment of time where you make that commitment of faith, where you are saved, Jesus then at that one point in time is the most important figure in the Trinity. So because of him, you are saved. You are righteous from that point forward. But here's the crazy thing. Faster than you can snap your fingers at that point, Jesus, important in that one time, is now not the most influential person in the, in the triune Godhead, the Holy Spirit is. And so you have been saved and sealed by the Holy Spirit the minute that you've made a profession of faith, a profession of saving faith in your life. And now Jesus is no longer the most important person the Holy Spirit is when it comes to you leading and moving in your life. Anybody ever uh, do uh, like kids ministry when um, they're like, hey, and you can now invite Jesus into your heart? Man, we really messed up that theology because never once in the Bible does it say to invite Jesus into your heart. It says, hey, hey, if you believe in your heart and confess your lips that Jesus Christ is Lord, you're going to be saved forever. And Jesus does not live in your heart. So for those of you who are having a hard time with this, it is the Holy Spirit. And so from that point forward, the time where you are sealed by the Spirit until the time that you get to heaven... That's the Holy Spirit in your life. So from the time you are born to the time that you are in heaven, the Holy Spirit, the, excuse me, the triune God has now taken one piece of every single part of your life. So we're talking about the idea of salvation. If we don't view it through the lens of the Trinity, we are selling God and his identity short because it is who he is. The Trinity should matter to us because the kind of God that we have will determine the type of relationship that we have with that God. 
And so if God was only one person, if God was just, like I said, that creator who just kind of set things in motion in the very beginning and allows, allows everybody to play out, then we're missing salvation from Jesus, we're missing the leading by the Holy Spirit, and we're just kind of off on our own here. Or if we only have Jesus, man, we have a great example for us to be able to live by. We're saved forever, but we have no one leading us now in our future. We have no one leading us now in our present until we get to glory. And then if we only have the Holy Spirit, then we don't have a creator. That's going to be an issue, obviously. But also, we weren't saved. And so we just have like this mystical character that we love to kind of wrap up and mist. And we don't know really what the Holy Spirit is, especially in Baptist churches. And so because of that, we're like, well, I'm just going to kind of walk around and do what the Holy Spirit says. But we have fallen short of salvation. So if you take any one of those... And say one of those is more important than the other, or one of them exists and the other two don't, or one came from the other. We are selling God short. And the way that he is shaped, the way that, that God is, is going to shape our interaction with him. Think about, think about your own dad. Maybe he's, he's around still, maybe he's not around still. Just think about a parent in general. But, but if you had a dad who cared deeply about sports and winning and baseball, whatever, chances are your relationship oftentimes was shaped when you were playing sports or you were winning specifically and you felt his love when you guys were together because that is part of who he was. Or maybe for you, it's uh, maybe you have a car dad and you, you connected with your dad when, when you were holding a flashlight and he yelled at you for holding it at the wrong part every single time, right? But that was the opportunity that you had to connect with your dad. Because it's who he is and who he is matters when it comes to your relationship with him. So in the same way, the type of God that we have being triune will shape our interaction with him. And so we have a God who who loved us enough to create us in the Father. We have a God who loved us enough to rescue us in the Son. And we have a God who loves us enough to, to lead us in the Spirit until we are with him forever. And it really is a shame that we don't think about it in those terms more often. And so what would it look like if, if maybe you as an individual began to, to see God not just as some holy dictator up in the sky or, or maybe just as Jesus on the cross, or maybe not just as the Holy Spirit. What would that look like if, if we as a church really started to, to embody every single piece of that? I think, I think as, as we recognize the work of God in our lives from birth to death, and seeing it through that lens, he becomes a more significant figure then. As we are able then to better articulate what he has done. Not just, oh yeah, he's the creator in Jesus, but then being able to even articulate what he does in your life as the spirit. So as you're sharing your faith with individuals who are, who are in your oikos, or as you're communing with the Holy Spirit, as you're reading the word of God, we would have a better understanding of who God is. Because being able to better articulate who God is matters. But even if all of that, even if you're like, you know what, it doesn't work for me, I don't get it, like whatever, at the end of the day, doctrine still matters though. 
So at the end of the day, even if you don't find the Pythagorean theorem in the Trinity to be useful and helpful in your everyday life, and if you don't, I would, I would hope you would do a deeper study. But even as you're walking away from today and you're like, I still don't get the Trinity, okay, at the end of the day, we still need to agree that two plus two equals four. And it matters because it's doctrinal, and it matters because God said it matters, because that's who he is as an individual. Amen, church? Let's pray. God, thank you for this church. God, thank you for your son that you sent on our behalf. Thank you for your spirit that you sent on our behalf. And God, I pray that we would come to a better understanding of, of who you are. I pray that, that as we read your word, as we interact with your spirit, God, that we would come to a better understanding of who you are so we can better know you, so we can see you through the lens of the Trinity and not a one-dimensional God that we are so often guilty of doing. And so, God, I pray, I pray for that awareness. And God, maybe there's people here this morning who, who maybe haven't heard that, that, that you are the creator and you are the, the savior and beyond that, you send your, your spirit to seal us forever, to lead us, and to guide us. And if, it's that, if that's you today, and you want to make that profession of faith, so at the end of the day, at the end of your life, you can be with glory. With heads still bowed and eyes still closed, you can simply pray along with me. I say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I admit that, and you made me aware of that. But B, I believe that you sent your Son to die on a cross for me, and that he conquered death three days later. So that my sin forever would be nailed to that cross with your son. Thank you for that. And see, I choose to follow you every single day. By reading your word. By following the example of your son. But also by listening to the spirit that you have sent to live in my heart. To live in my life to lead me and to guide me. I would choose to follow you. We love you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.